Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Rob Warner, and I'm joined today by staff reporters Max Madden, Jack Harris, and site publisher Chris Cartman. Guys, how you doing today? I'm doing great, Rob. It's only about 90, 93 degrees today with about 40% humidity, so I only sweat a little bit. Yeah, Max and I come from places that aren't that hot, so we can't handle it, Jack. I didn't eat breakfast today, so I'm really, really hungry. <laughs> you hear like a growl. How much coffee did you have? Not enough, also. Rob Likens probably had a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like Rob Likens is always having a ton. Uh, some some uh, information for you guys about the content on the site right now. First look at Michigan State. Jack did that yesterday. That is up with a lot of analysis and what to expect from Michigan State. Um, and then Chris had a almost a six thousand word review of the UST uh, of the, excuse me of the UTSA game where ASU won obviously forty nine to seven. Also on our site right now, practice notes from today about JJ Wilson and a thin offensive line that may continue to look like that. Other personnel notes, all of that and more is is on our site, so you guys can go over there and check that out. Right now, we're going to break down the UTSA game a little bit. The the first game, obviously, of the season for ASU, winning 49-7. to Manny Wilkins going 16-24 of for 237 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. The running backs from ASU getting 266 yards on the ground. Eno Benjamin uh, highlighting that with 16 carries for 131 yards, followed by Isaiah Floyd, who had nine carries for 79 yards. In the receiving game, Nikhil Harry was the big standout receiver for ASU, the only receiver actually with more than 24 yards on the night. He had six receptions for 140 yards with two touchdowns. Obviously, those two touchdowns, longer touchdowns that gave him a lot of those yards that he got on the night. And then uh, ASU uh, picked up uh, two fumbles, intercepted a pass. Shannon Foreman's interception returned for a touchdown on the first drive for UTSA. Um, guys, what were some of the main things that stood out to you as you were, as, as you were thinking this game over? I think uh, the, the biggest thing has to be defensively um, when you look at how well they played, doing a lot of the things that Danny Gonzalez kind of said this defense wants to do. You mentioned Shannon Foreman's pick six. That's a defensive lineman dropping into coverage, which is one of the staples of this 3-3-5. They'd had a lot of movement up front. Um, and they didn't even really have to, to dive deep into their different kinds of pass coverages and things like that. Uh, both Herm Edwards and Danny Gonzalez said that they were able to play just vanilla coverages in the game. So I think for, for a first run in this defense where the coaching staff said they were going to have a lot of question marks about how a lot of the young guys would look, um, I, I think it went about as well as ASU could have hoped. And, you know, on offense, Jack, I think we expected, you know, Eno Benjamin to have a great game. Maybe Isaiah Floyd surprised a little bit. Nikhil Harry, you expect him to make the big plays. But on defense, I agree. I think that the, the uh, you know, it wasn't a great offensive line from UTSA, obviously, starting two freshmen and two junior college transfers. But when you, you know, when you're a Division One team and when you're a Power 5 team like ASU, with a lot of things changing, is that you want them, you want ASU to take advantage uh, you know, if you're the coaching staff, you want them to be able to have that dominance. If you if you're not able to get any pressure on a poor offensive line, it's a red flag. But they got nine sacks. Uh, I think Vernell Wren uh, looked really good. Even Darius Slade had a couple uh, really impressive highlights. So, uh, you know, that's that's also what I took. Yeah, anytime you only give up two rushing yards to a FBS team, that's a it's a pretty good day, no matter what their offensive line looks like. Uh, my main takeaways were uh, ASU looked to be playing more aggressively. It, on defense and the athleticism of the team seems to be upgraded a little bit when you put uh Jalen Bates out there Doug Subtil Merlin Robertson uh Stanley Lambert uh, a couple of the guys on the back end you know when Ashari Crosswell starts getting reps um Langston Frederick is a, is a pretty good athlete and then of course your corners uh and then um 
offensively, I think, you know, it's pretty much standard fair stuff that you would that you would typically expect in terms of the, the actual performance. Although there were some wrinkles that we're going to get into in this podcast that were definitely different and um, reflect on what um, Rob Likens is going to be as a play caller and schemer in this ASU offense. Right. And just a quick note, if, if you guys like what you're hearing from us on this podcast, make sure you check out our premium podcast and all of our member content that is on sundevilsource.com. Just a lot of good content that we're doing, over 100 articles a month, uh, 100 pieces of content a month, so you guys check that That's out. That's just the free stuff, Rob. Right. We have 100 free, more than 100 free. I think last, I think in I think in August, we had 170 some odd pieces of content, maybe 75 were, were strictly for the members. And going back into this game and talking more about the defense, 27 players for ASU uh, accumulated a tackle on the night, 15 tackles for a loss on ESPN. It's listed that there was 10 uh, sacks for ASU. That would be more than uh, in, uh, in in November of 2013 when they beat UCLA at the Rose Bowl. What can you guys say about how the defense was able to generate pressure on, you know, as Max said, a little bit of a weaker front? Well, I think it started with the defensive line and how they were able to really overpower a lot of UTSA's offensive linemen. Um, Rennell Wren in the middle was really dominant. Uh, and some of the defensive ends, you know, you saw the highlight of Darius Slade pushing a running back back into the Roadrunners quarterback. Um, and then I think with the linebackers, a lot of speed, like Chris was saying, it's an athletic group uh, with some of those young guys that were able to follow their assignments for the most part. It looked like with some of the, the switches and different kind of blitzes that they ran um, and were able to generate pressure, had a lot of free runs at the quarterback. Uh, yeah, I, I agree, Jack. And if, if you look at also some different things that they were able to do, uh, you know, like we mentioned before, Chase Lucas coming off the edge to get his sack. Uh, they were able to spread the wealth along the, the defensive line. I think this, the combination of the stunts and just uh, a really inexperienced offensive line from UTSA generated a lot of pressure for ASU. That's going to change, uh, likely, uh, against Michigan State, which is, of course, going to have a tougher offensive line. But uh, they, they were able to rotate their schemes and get it a lot of different looks, which is, uh, I think, good moving forward for ASU. Yeah, I, I noticed um, an inability to, to adjust the protections uh, of UTSA in a way that was able to combat what, what ASU was doing schematically. Um, we said really, and we saw throughout uh, the last month of preparation for the season, that uh, this ASU defensive attack really is difficult to prepare for and will keep you on your toes in terms of the protections and understanding where a lot of the pressures are going to be coming from. It's, it's, um, it's, it's unorthodox. And, and this uh, UTSA team w- was so reliant on newcomers that preparing for even when they were going back, I'm sure, and watching San Diego State's film in order to do that, not knowing the personnel and some of the adjustments, even an, an offensive coordinator who's um, a grizzled vet like Al Borges, who's been doing this for probably 40 years and is in his 60s, who mm-hmm. took over this UTSA team, he just couldn't get them um, – geared up and then they had no ability to really adjust within the game and that's why we saw rob 20 plus tackles for loss nine sacks a lot of that stuff quite honestly was just free runs to the max protector remember we saw uh uh, darius slade just absolutely launch the the running back into his quarterback uh who fumbled the ball and then slade returned the ball there was just a bunch of times Uh, malik lawal did the same thing later on in the game where he just 
came in, bullied the running back, mm-hmm. forced um, forced the quarterback to bleed out to his right, and then that's where Slade got a second sack. Uh, there was just a, a really, really bad protections. And then you had a quarterback who's new and inexperienced, right. and so he was extremely skittish. And um, there was no... Only, only when ASU went up forty-nine nothing after that Isaiah Floyd touchdown in the beginning of the fourth quarter did we really see ASU start to have a lot of just problems with waning intensity. Uh, there were misassignments earlier here and there, but really things kind of dropped off uh, after that. I would agree with Jack though on how the defensive line really seemed to set the tone for the entire night. I mean. The three up front with Jalen Bates, Rennell Wren, and Shannon Foreman just looked like they were dominating when they were in there, and I think that was a big reason that some of the other elements of the ASU defense was able to do so well. But guys, before we move on to the defense and a breakdown in uh, in depth of that, I want one big takeaway, one big picture takeaway, and one smaller detail you guys saw. Uh, I, I'll go back the big picture takeaway, something like Shannon Foreman's interception, the fact that they were able to execute a, a play in Danny Gonzalez's defense that he had identified as something he wants to do coming in here, to, to mix a coverage, to confuse a quarterback, and to have a defensive lineman on literally the first pass thrown against this defense of the year be intercepted and returned for a touchdown is pretty uh, indicative of, of kind of the, the goals that Danny Gonzalez has for, for this unit. And then the smaller thing I'd say, just how good uh, you know Benjamin and Isaiah Floyd looked um, utilizing the holes, pressing up to the line, their cuts – uh, everything they did was was very impressive. Uh, so I'm going to touch on something else on the defense. I think the linebacker depth. I think that that uh, that ASU displayed sort of a lack of drop off from from tier to tier. Uh, you know, talking about Darian Butler, Malik Lawal, uh, you know, there, even Merlin Robertson and Kalen Thomas when they came in. You know, each of them had their had their moments, and it didn't really seem like at any time the Sun Devils were a lot weaker along the defensive, uh, or excuse me, uh, with the linebackers. So I think, you know, a lot of guys were able to make tackles and make key reads. Um, and it just didn't seem like there was a huge drop-off in terms of talent level. Of course, now Danny Gonzalez has to figure out who they're going to start and, and, and rotate in with the first and second teams. But uh, I don't think the ASU has a, a huge a huge issue in terms of a gap of talent at linebacker. Uh, yeah, I provided my big picture thing, I think, previously. But what I would say is on, on, on offense – one of the big takeaways was some of the differences schematically of Rob Likens versus the previous coordinators. We saw a bunch of bunch set trips into the boundary uh, with some snag concepts. We saw the way that they pulled the center around Cole Cabral and, and, and the different component um, that we're going to talk about later on in the podcast, uh, what that enabled in the run game, and then the way that the utilization of Nikhil Harry uh, in order to sort of ma- try to maximize their best player against UTSA's defensive style. My big picture takeaway was the running game for ASU and how they were able to so effectively gain yards on the ground. I think that will be a big piece of their offense this entire season and something that if they can do that, I think that will really change the dynamic of this team. If Eno Benjamin can continue to get the yards that he was getting uh, this past game against UTSA, obviously the opponents are going to get better, but I think that there's a chance that he can be a very, a very good number one running back for them. And then Isaiah Floyd really looked like a good uh, second punch, change of pace back. And then my smaller detail was how well the defense seemed like it understood its assignments and how it looked like there was so little miscommunication. I was expecting there to be a few breakdowns and a few more uh, mistakes where it just looked like guys didn't exactly understand this new defensive scheme uh, set by Danny Gonzalez, but it looked like everybody understood that very well. 
And that brings me to my further point going into the defense further, guys. The 3-3-5 defense that Danny Gonzalez brought with him, how is that able to be so successful? And what did you guys see from that specific scheme this weekend? Uh, well, I think the big thing is they stopped the run. Um, that's kind of the question mark with when you only play with six guys in your defensive front is you're going to have to get creative in, with things like that. I think we mentioned it during the preseason. It really puts an onus on a guy like Rennell Wren and, the, and the, the guys playing that nose tackle spot to create havoc in the middle, and, and he did that, uh, albeit against, like we said, a, a not great UTSA defensive line, but or pardon me, offensive line. Um, but it's encouraging to see that he did it. Uh, the coverage thing, I, I'll be more interested to see how this unfolds as the season goes on when you play teams that have better pass attacks, better receivers, you know, more capable quarterbacks, um, and you're not just able to play vanilla stuff. If there's pass coverage breakdowns there, that I think is going to be the biggest worry moving forward is, you know, when you're playing more capable and talented and experienced offenses, are they going to be able to – are there going to be busted coverages and big plays over the top? I would just reiterate – uh, more athletic, played really hard. The style itself le- is lent it style lends itself, I should say, to that sort of a result because of the way that they move the front and they pressure and they they're going to keep everybody invested in terms of getting opportunities to blitz. Um, I think that sort of just by itself creates uh, a harder sort of playing effort and you know of course the previous scheme had a lot of blitzes and all that but the difference here is the rotations you had guys playing way fewer snaps among their front six players because of the rotations so what you saw were just constantly almost like hockey line changes where three linemen new linemen are coming in and then they're going as hard as they can for a handful of plays and then they're out linebackers the same thing and i just think that um when you know that you're going to have shrunken reps you're not only mentally clearer and fresher but you also realize that you have to maximize those uh, and then i think what also it says that's important is the coaches realize that developing players on the field is important and there's not really a substitute to that yeah, I, I think Chris really hit it right there, especially when talking about all the rotations because not only was ASU more athletic than UTSA, but they were fresher on every down. Um, and, and I think Jack also made another really good point about Renault Wren being the focal point of this of the front six uh, uh, for the defense because if he can you know, toss a center to either side, he's going to create holes for guys like Darian Butler and Malik Lawal to go through who, uh, who, each have, who each have four tackles. And I want to give a shout-out to Chris who also thought uh, that Darren Butler could lead the team in tackles. So. I said that too. I, I think I'm getting overshadowed because Chris actually knows what he's saying most of the time, but I also predicted that. <laughs> Rob is just living in Chris's shadow. <laughs> I, 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 I totally stole it from you. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I said after Chris. Okay. But a few of the impressive uh, stats from the ASU defense, they gave up only two rushing yards on the night to the road runners. 27 different uh, members uh, of the defense for ASU made a tackle uh, freshman Daring Butler, four tackles, three solo tackles, one tackle for loss. Ashari Crosswell had three tackles, all of which were solo. Uh, Merlin Robertson had two tackles. One was a solo and one was a TFL. He had a few big hits yeah, also. one of those was a huge hit early in the game. Yeah, a, a very big hit. And then he had that nice pass defended later on in the game. And I was impressed with what I saw out of the freshmen as well as the defense in general. So I think the key thing here was everybody kind of expected Merlin Robertson was going to be a really good player and possibly be able to make an impact early. But Darian Butler was really good. Um, 
I compared in the upon further review, which I recommend everybody watching because it's a play-by-play accounting of the game for our members, the patient footwork of Darian Butler. There were a number of times when he hedged gaps because ASU scheme only has one inside linebacker and you got to make a gap read. And he, a lot of guys, what happens is the play action or the motion of the lineman, it draws you into a gap. So if you look at what like DJ Calhoun did when he was a true freshman at ASU, he was running around like a chicken with his head cut off at times out there on the field. And and the same thing with other players, even like a Brandon McGee or other guys that play when they were young. Darian Butler, extreme patience with his feet, letting the play declare itself. And then he it has this low center of gravity and physicality at the tackle. Those two things uh, can get you a, a long ways. If you have that patience, that football IQ, and then uh, the ability to be physical at the tackle. And then Merlin Robertson had the big tackle. Stanley Lambert, the other freshman, he played a lot in reserve. Right. I felt like he was the least assignment sound of the three, but actually his, his, his upside may be the highest because of his length, speed, quickness, athleticism, and his ability to run. They use him as a gunner on right. punt team. We're going to talk about that later because there were some mistakes. Moving from the freshman linebackers to the secondary, what did you guys think about how some of the defensive coverage is and how the defense did mostly in the secondary? Yeah, it's like we mentioned earlier. Um, I mean, there were some open receivers at times. Uh, it's kind of tough to judge because UTSA, they just they had two quarterbacks who, who didn't complete a lot of passes. They had drop balls. Um, again, there weren't like blown coverages. Um, and and like, like ASU's coaching staff said, they were playing some vanilla looks, some basic things. Uh, so I, I don't know if there's a ton you can take away from that game alone. I guess the big thing is, again, that there wasn't any major blown coverages that, like you said earlier, the communication at least seemed to be going okay. Um, their top two tacklers in the game were cornerbacks, and Herm Edwards talked Monday about how he likes the fact that his perimeter defenders can can make tackles. Um, they're going to get bigger tests moving forward, though. Uh, I think that's for sure. I think there's there's players who can run and play in the scheme. Certainly, both their corners are more than capable of that. Chase Lucas had a good game outside of some of the extracurricular stuff that, uh, yeah, he had the, the, the personal foul. Right. Um, he was he almost got another one where he for threw a guy into the ground, not for celebrating. Well, he almost got the celebrating one too that he was talking about. Yeah, I think that I don't I think that was kind of debatable if he was going to get one. He just talked about the fact that he shouldn't be doing that stuff that wasn't team. But that that wasn't the one I was talking about. Um, and then um, for how new that they were in some of the other spots, like the Ranger safety positions, I thought that was that was reasonably okay. Uh, there was places where in zone coverage, they um, they had lapses, and I think especially as the game went on, like after ASU went up forty nine nothing early in the fourth quarter. And some of the reserve guys came in more. I think that they had, I think they had a lapse in the energy and more mistakes. Probably eight to ten overall misassignments uh, among their players in the secondary and linebackers. Some of that was f- some of the freshmen that we talked about. Um, and and, and then, I, I think a lot of ways you saw that were like third downs, how UTSA converted mm-hmm. seven of eighteen, and a lot on the throws like that where they found soft spots in the coverage. Yeah, the big thing is the Tillman position play was was, was pretty poor. Uh, you had Daz Tauralatasi get gets the start. Remember, um, in the weeks leading up to this, coaches have said that they think that he could be their best in the box player against the run. 
This is a, a position that is relied upon to do a variety of things, drop in coverage, play some mm-hmm. um, play some bandit style looks, some robber coverages, come up and then play um, against the run. So so Tauletasi took a bad angle. Remember, this is you know, he right. you know, he missed that one tackle attempt. They should have forced got forced back into the help. He slipped and fell in coverage on another play that was a third down conversion mm-hmm. over the middle. And then when they brought in Jalen Harvey, Jalen Harvey got sort of uh, rolling up against a play action and out of position because he's, it's, it's, you know, he's just kind of being manipulated there by some of the quarterback stuff. So for ASU getting Evan Fields back healthier and just he practiced today as we're taping this on Tuesday, um, I think that's a help. And then maybe looking at other options, they looked at Demonte King also out there today. And Chris, something you were talking to me about right after the game was the free runs of the quarterback and how that gave ASU an opportunity to to produce sacks in other ways than than just beating a guy off the edge. But, you know, Chase Lucas pretty much came uncovered off the end. Darius Slade, when he had that fumble, he just bullied through the running back. How did you see that affecting the game? That was a huge component because... As I think I said earlier, they um, UTSA did not adjust their productions or really figure out where the pressure was going to be coming from on any given play. Um, they were just as they were dropping back in some of their pass pros, they just there were just gaps that were exploited pretty easily by ASU. And so, um, is that something that's going to continue to be a problem for opponents? Are team's going to have good enough communication and experience with their offensive linemen to figure out how to protect that mm-hmm. and those are some of the storylines that we're going to be following with that from defense to offense we go and manny wilkins pretty solid game 237 yards in the air for wilkins the senior quarterback 16 of 24 uh completion attempts um averaging 9.9 yards per throw four touchdowns no interceptions didn't throw many Jeopardy balls. Nikhil Harry moved a lot into the slot position, which we haven't seen a whole lot. He wasn't used much there last year. And ASU, they started the game in 10 personnel. They ran that a lot. Ryan Jenkins started in this game. Uh, what did you guys see uh, with Wilkins and how he was able to kind of start the game off for the Sun Devils? No, I think the thing with him is, uh, I mean, he was it was a good performance. I think it was about kind of what you expect to see from him on a week-to-week basis. One of the things that might have gone unnoticed is he was under pressure a lot more than it seemed like. He didn't get sacked at all, but uh, 52% of the time on his dropbacks, uh, he had guys in his face and he was feeling pressure. So to be able to complete whatever, 16 of 24, what his, what his passing numbers were, uh, was a pretty good day. And, and I think a lot of it's because you saw a, a lot of you know simple short throws, getting the ball out into space to their playmakers, kind of like what Rob Lykins said they wanted to do. You just have to look at the first drive and see how they put Nikhil Harry in the slot you know, set up some some very scripted plays to him, and and, and it worked out. Um, so yeah, I think from from Wilkins' standpoint, it was a fine day. Uh, he wasn't asked to do too much. They ran the ball a ton. Uh, and it took a lot of the pressure off him. Pretty standard fair stuff. Um, mm-hmm. The whole key thing against inferior opponents, in particular, don't take negative plays. Don't put the ball in jeopardy. Manage your team. Did all those things. Mm-hmm. Got the ball to Nikhil Harry. He had um, that one play in which he scrambled, but he didn't scramble with his eyes downfield. And in his field of vision, Nikhil Harry standing wide open in the end zone. And he instead tucked and, and, and ran with it. And that, that's, 
that's one of the areas that still remains something that Manny Wilkins has to work on because he is able to elude and Mm -hmm. get out of the pocket and do some different things. But you have to be able to do that to still be a thrower situationally. But um, accurate, solid, good performance. And then even though he wasn't sacked much, kind of to Jack's point about how much he was uh, under pressure and under duress this night, the blocking uh, of, of the running backs and the tight ends those were both pretty poor in that game. How much does that need to improve if ASU wants a chance this week in Michigan State? That was definitely one of the weaker areas for the ASU offense. I, I counted three plays, I believe, from Eno Benjamin in which um, he missed or lost blocks. Um, and then Isaiah Floyd had one glaring one. They were kind of trying to go too low and too mechanical about what they were doing. You have to really attack those protection blocks. Mm-hmm. It's okay to you want you definitely do want to go lower on guys. Um, but you but you got to be that have that within the target zone what you're trying to do as opposed to just trying to chop at the knees and below. Because what happens is um, those pass rushers are athletic enough to just kind of step over you or bully you down mm-hmm. and then th- go, ride it through you and get to the quarterback. Right. Um, and then CJ French Love just f- flat out wasn't nearly good enough. Uh, the um, Hudson took the first reps. French Love came in, came in and played quite a bit though. When they had those H back alignments, mm-hmm. um, what you saw was UTSA trying to ride in through him on the interior, and there just wasn't enough physicality in his lower half to be able to to combat, block, and ride through those. Um, in the second half, Manny Wilkins got hit really hard after he just kind of had a frankly soft play that that you just can't have happen what we saw already as a result of these things rob was today in practice the running backs and the tight ends were working on all of these things fundamentally not just not just fundamentally but also having the right physicality and sense of urgency about the way those blocks should be executed uh asu in this game to me looked more dynamic running the ball I think they have a little bit more of a capability just because it's the older guys at tight end in terms of catching the ball. But the little things, you know, the blocking, the ball security, those things can win and lose football games, and they, they need to be much better. And Cole Cabral in his first game starting at center looked really pretty good. He had some different usages. We're going to have a play anatomy about the usage uh, of Nikhil Harry and Cole Cabral and Shannon Foreman later on this week so you guys can – uh, take a look at that. There's going to be gifts and visual aids uh, on those specific pieces of content for us. But Jack, what did you think about the blocking schemes, both both running and and passing, and how and how Cole Cabral was able to affect that? Yeah, I think Cole Cabral. When like when you watch the game back, it's just interesting, and it's kind of like what we said in the preseason, which is he's just so much more athletic than AJ McCollum was last year at center. He's going to be able to do a lot more things, and you saw that. Um, I think the first run of the game was that, that one that, that Eno Benjamin had to the right side that went for 15 yards or something, and it was Cole Cabral pulling between the guard and the tackle on that side to kind of clear space and get down to the second level. And when you watch the tape back, uh, a lot of times on, on these screen passes and, and slants and things like that, you, you know, I noticed that like Cole Cabral was the furthest lineman downfield on a lot of these, which it, it, it's just an, an extra dynamic that gives ASU more options and how it wants to operate and, and set up blocks and, and things like that. Um, it's kind of what we expected coming in, uh, and, and and they looked good doing it against uh, what was again like a pretty a pretty good and experienced UTSA front. Last year, AJ McCollum graded out by Pro Football Focus as one of their two best offensive linemen. However, 
he definitely wasn't what we would call a fleet of foot type of a guy. <laughs> so he so he couldn't do some of these things conceptually in terms of pulling to the perimeter and getting to certain spots, some of the range blocks, second level type type things, or at least not to the degree that you can when you have Cole Cabral who's six foot five and rangy and all of that. Really what it does, Rob Likens straight up said today when I asked him about this, it gives you just this extra ability to build concepts into your scheme mm-hmm. that you then can bring out whenever it's convenient for you. And Herm Edwards has said that he believes that Cole Cabral can play at the NFL level. And this is the type of thing that, that demonstrates that. Manny Wilkins also said today, Rob, that um, there was no bad exchanges, snaps, the communication was really good. And not that it was perfect, but for the first game of you working at center, yeah, they're probably only going to be able to get better at that as their sort of seamlessness and, and, and a familiarity sort of continues to develop. But that was a really good game, and we're looking forward to being able to actually show people what that looked like on the site in some of our content that we're going to be building out in the next day or so. And I think it goes to this whole theme of like all these offensive linemen they have this year are a little bit lighter and a little bit more athletic than what they've had in years past. So it's not just Cole Cabral who can you can do different things with. It's right. you know Alex Asoy and Stephen Miller. Um, and Quinn Bailey, and I think you know Casey Tucker's got to the second level um, later in the game and mm-hmm. to to set up a long run for Eno Benjamin. So there's it's just it looks like a more versatile line. Dave Christensen has been you know when we've talked to him pretty pleased about the the capabilities that they have up there. I mean it was definitely a good debut. And Christensen today at practice was challenging his unit to become even more physical going up against number 15 Michigan State this week. Moving on to special teams, this was this was kind of one of the areas that ASU struggled with a little bit in the game. Five penalties on special teams, uh, blunder on the the first punt return, communication problems, uh, and, and really one of the only positives was Paul Lucas' really impressive coverage as a gunner, and Michael Sleep Dalton with his 62-yard punt that was his the longest of his career actually. Yeah, and the kickoffs by Brandon Reese were. Also good. Right. I mean, pretty consistently in the end zone for touchbacks, right? Right. Uh, but yeah, uh, Sleep Dalton, this was probably his best game. Remember last year, he got off to a bad start, which wasn't entirely his fault because he had a, a leg injury that forced him to use his opposite, his non-strong leg. He's a rugby style, so he can go both legs. But um, the fact that he just came into a season totally healthy, uh, all but one of his punts were pinned inside the 20, mm-hmm. including a 61-yarder, I think was the longest of his career. Um, 62 yarder. Okay. And then, um, I think the play of Paul Lucas, as you said there on, as a gunner covering the punts in particular was, was tremendous. He's maybe the fastest sprinter in the state in recent years. So he was just down there like a lightning bolt ready to field catch field balls. Um, the problems though were significant. They had, two penalties before they even got their first punt off, right? They come back to back false starts. No, they had a, um, delay a game, delay a game yeah. followed by a false start. Okay. The, Excuse me. Yeah. The delay a game happened because Curtis Hodges didn't come onto the field to play his left tackle position. So they took a penalty. And then after that, um, you had Stanley Lambert, who's a true freshman, who they're using as a gunner, sort of like they've also used Karan Crump. Mm-hmm. 
he had a false start. Then later on, after that, the next time out, Malik Lawal had a false start, which led Herm Edwards to actually start telling them to calm down from the sidelines. And then after that, they put Karan Crump in that same role that they had Lambert, and then he false started. And I think there was one more penalty that I'm also forgetting. Yeah. They had five penalties. And then also remember, because UTSA had a rugby style, ASU was was looking at a split return formation, and they had Brandon Ayuk and Isaiah Floyd, both of whom are new, actually run into each other, muff the punt, and then Ayuk recovered it. If not, that could have been a giveaway of the ball inside their own 10-yard line. So that that's really like borderline calamitous punt, right. punt team. And what we saw from practice today, Rob, is – uh, Sean Slocum, he that dude was uh, he was on fire. He was very like sense of urgency and yelling at guys and and saying, "Look, we have to be a lot better." And that's a guy who doesn't mess around anyway. Like yes, and I think on top of all of that, it didn't really feel like once they were close to having a big play in the return game, right? Which was one of the things that Herm Edwards had talked about coming into the season is you know well you know, we want to have bigger plays, you know, bringing the ball back, and it didn't happen. And this is a unit last year, like, how many times did blocked punts change games last year or things that ASU did on special teams? You know, you think back to, like, the onside kick against Oregon. Special teams was a really important part of what they did last year and some of those those wins that they had. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we had seen some of the sloppiness in camp. When you think back to that first scrimmage with substituting players on and off the field and things of that nature, um, definitely – that's something that's going to have to be cleaned up because when you get into close games, like those things will matter. Like if they're in a game against Michigan State this week and they start to struggle in special teams, it will come back to hurt them. You know, pe- people who listen to our premium podcast are members and they also read our content on the site. Mm-hmm. They'll know how much that Jack and I talked about throughout the entire month of August, how discombobulated that they were on special teams and mm-hmm. practices. It was a thematic right. thing that we hammered over and over and over again, which then foreshadowed what happened in the game. And there's numerous other things like the rotations at the Z receiver, mm-hmm. the problems at Tillman, the the athleticism and, and, and length that Cabral brings. Right. These are all the things that we don't do a lot of we don't do a lot of analysis on our free podcast until we get in season. But I just think it's important to stress to people who aren't subscribed to our service that if you really, really want to understand a lot of these things, even before you get into the season to understand what to expect, that's the way to go. And it's going to be in- interesting to see the changes that ASU coaches make because, you know, we've heard a lot in the past week about how from week one to week two is when you see the most change, see the most improvement from your team. So I'm curious to see how ASU can do in that special teams area. Um, but, guys, some, some stuff on the site right now. The first look, Michigan State, the Jack did. That is up. You guys can check that out. kind of gives you a preview of what to expect from Michigan State. Chris will have uh, more on Michigan State later on in the week. Chris Chris has right now a review of the, U, uh, the UTSA game. Uh, a lot of his thoughts, a lot more in-depth than what we did on this podcast. Practice notes from today about J.J. Wilson and thin offensive line that may continue to look like that. Other personnel notes, special teams, all of that is on our site. Um, Significantly more coverage ahead of this matchup against Michigan State, number 15, um, including the premium podcast that breaks down the Spartan scheme and personnel. Oh, I just had a question for you guys before we get out of here. Oh, uh, yeah, Jack's got one question. Well, bigger picture, just uh, Pac-12-wise, what was what was the thing that stood out to you guys the most about this first weekend? And so I'm glad that you brought that up because on the premium podcast starting this week, we're going to um, – 
make picks of all the games. And we're going to track our record. <laughs> Ooh. Sounds okay. good. Well, Chris already got knocked out of his survivor pool for the Pac-12. Yeah. So. Somebody gave me advice <laughs> to pick UCLA. I think his name was Jack Harris. <laughs> so, but um, Cincinnati's bad. They shouldn't have lost that game. Well, look. Um, you know, I, I had my Pac-12 media poll ballot. I had people freaked out a little bit, but I had ASU third ahead of Arizona, UCLA, Colorado. Colorado did well against Colorado State, but we saw the Hawaii-Colorado State thing. Colorado State didn't look good. So did Herm Edwards. Yes, Herm Edwards watched it as well. Um, the Washington game, uh, that didn't really surprise me. That was kind of in the mold of how I anticipated it, it going. UCLA with the quarterback injury, and I didn't. I thought that team wasn't going to be as good anyway, so that even though I picked them, you know, I, I picked them for other strategic reasons. Um Oregon State, I mean, they could have lost 100 to nothing. I mean, that's like the worst team in the league, no, no surprise. Uh, Stanford got pretty good quarterback play and looked pretty good against San Diego State. Even without Bryce Love having a big game. Correct. Um, what about you guys? What, do you, what, what did you take away? Anything else? My biggest thing was I was surprised. Me, um, you're going to probably talk about Cal. No, I'm not going to talk about Cal. <laughs> I was going to talk about USC. I thought that USC was okay. going to look a lot stronger than they did in their first game. I mean, UNLV was in that game until the third quarter. When, in the fourth, early fourth yeah, quarter. Yeah, early fourth quarter. Um, so that was one of my takeaways. I, I was just surprised. I, I thought that uh, the new system and the new quarterback was going to be – uh, uh, wor- I thought it was going to work out better. True freshman quarterback who basically, you know, is should have be a senior in high school right now. That's hard. Like there's just and, some- and their top receiver being like a true freshman as well. What was surprising to me about that game, like USC gave up over 300 yards rushing. And this is a team that's supposed to have one of the best right. linebacking cores in, in the Pac-12. They just really didn't look strong, and they were picked to finish pretty well in the Pac-12 South. So I'm very curious. They always are. I mean, when, when right. is, no, I mean, have but, you ever seen what, a Pac-12 South media ballot right, that didn't but, have USC first or second? But that's what we've talked about is is I want to see how they actually stack up because sure. you've said, Chris, that you think there are a lot of there's the, a natural bias to USC. You not not just you know the you see it in the AP media polls the traditionally strongest teams they usually end up you know higher and all that stuff it's it's normal yeah I, I just was surprised they didn't look better Jack what was yours uh, I still think I I don't understand why why more people aren't liking Oregon to win the the Pac-12 for right. sure I, um, I think coaching like, concerns yeah but I mean they like when you have a quarterback like that and, and kind of the way their schedule shakes very out very talented um, and they yeah. Get, yeah the only thing is if he can stay healthy. If Herbert can stay healthy, they can go a long way. But that's any any good. No, there's no team <laughs> well, that's going to usually. He's had, he's had two shoulder injuries now. That's I know. Why I'm curious. Yeah, that's true. That's a fair point. Okay. And yes. then Khalil Tate's going to need to run the ball more than eight times. Yes. For for oh, Arizona to be successful. True. I just was I was trying to tell people that the Nolmazoni. He has a system, and he's not. He doesn't deviate from the system. And it's not a quarterback-friendly thing. Like when they had, what's his name at Texas A&M, and he before he transferred to Oklahoma, the running the, Kyler Murray. Kyler yeah. Murray, they did not adapt well to that. It, it he transferred because that thing didn't work out there. And now you have a similar situation. I, I think that that's that's going to be a lingering thing that we're talking about for weeks. All right, guys. Any final notes? I'm good. Just excited, man. Like I, I, We love talking about football. It's fun to be able to get back into the season. 
really we have is. We, we have so much content and i just also just want to reiterate something you said earlier so much of the our content's free you don't you don't need to sub- subscribe you don't even need to register you're going to be able to check out every single day's practice reports we put up more video than anybody else um and then if you really want to go deeper into it, you know, we got all the analysis and everything that, that we get for our members and the most active and robust uh, membership community out there to talk about these things. And we we will answer everybody's questions if they come into the Devil Sanctuary and post them and anything that you guys want to know about Sun Devil football or recruiting or any of that stuff, we got you covered. So, so, so definitely come join us especially like the next three weeks with the the games asu are going to play we're going to learn a lot so yeah there's there is going to be a lot that we're going to learn about and that have we've already sort of figured out now from seeing the team in that first game right so that's going to end this podcast but like chris and jack both said there's just a lot of good content so check out our site sundevilsource.com right now alongside staff reporters max madden and jack harris along with site publisher chris cartman i'm rob warner saying so long and thank you for tuning in let's get it